When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Matt Hulse. Hello, Matt. Hi there, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, doing very well. Fresh from a uh, viewing of your documentary. Do you want to tell us um, a little bit about it? Give us a name and and a brief synopsis as to what it's about. Sure, it's a film called Dummy Jim. Um, It's based on a book written by a man called, a Scotsman called James Duthie, who in 1951 cycles from his small fishing village of Canbulg to um, the Arctic Circle, although his original intention was to go to North Africa, to Morocco, and thereby hangs a tale. Um, he wrote a little book called I Cycled into the Arctic Circle, and uh, my mum found a copy of that on the Isle of Iona in 2000, um, with a little note that said, uh, don't feel obliged to do anything with this book. And uh, 13 years later, I managed to complete the film, um, which is uh, just about to go touring in, in Scotland, 12-day tour of Scotland, starting uh, Sunday. So what is what's the tour, what, what is the actual tour you're doing? We're doing a tour of... Um, <clears throat> it's uh, supported by a new organisation called Film Hub Scotland, the British... British Film Institute have um, started to regionalise their, their distribution funds, um, and so they're, they're basically trying to support, you know, um, film clubs, schools, uh, much smaller venues um, than you know the, the kind of indie cinemas or the multiplexes. So we're going to we're hitting places like the Glasgow Film Theatre and Edinburgh Film House, but we're also doing. For example, the Salmon Bothy in Port Soy, which is on the very top of Aberdeenshire, um, Woodend Barn in Bankery, um, the, the Lithe Arts Centre in Wick, um, and we expect to have audiences of maybe 20, 25 people, but um, that would be a very significant proportion of the local population. And, uh, you know, it's taking the film, the director, and also... Um, uh, film composers, so there'll be a live music element, it'd be a bit of an event. Cool. Um, oh, so we're kind of t- touring it a bit like a band, selling merchandise, DVDs, tea towels, you know, CDs, all that, badges, 
all the good stuff. It's interesting. I don't, I don't know if you meet. Have you heard of the Fright Fest, uh, the horror film festival? Yes, now? yeah, I have. Yeah, uh, Ian Ratray, who's one of the four people that are involved with running it, he's uh, he's a man from round about Dundee, and uh, oh, yeah. his his, fir- his first sort of forays into film programming was uh, a cinema in a van. Basically, he went from village to village in Scotland doing this in the eighties, doing something similar to what you're doing in the eighties, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's, 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 you know, there's a sort of stranglehold on distribution in indie cinema, and basically there's, there's a couple of very powerful people who decide what goes around the, the um, picture houses, and if, you know, you're not in with them, really, you don't, your film's not going to be, get a look, um, especially if it's fully independent, um, as Dummy Jim is, you know, we don't have any sort of, we've not got into bed with Soda or Dogworth or any of the distributors so you know you have to do all this stuff yourself and actually when audiences hear about that and they appreciate it they you know they really they get on board there's a chance for them to actually get involved and sort of empowered to be involved in the, the making and the distribution and i think that's the idea behind the film audience network as well no i, mean, I think i think it's a, I think it's a great idea um now just before we go into more detail about the kind of makeup of this 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 film um mm-hmm. What what or who kind of represents a sort of tipping point for you, where you thought to yourself, "I want to be a filmmaker." Um, because a bit of a story there. I mean, I um, quite young. I I was got into music quite young. Um, probably about ten years old. I was really starting to listen to um, punk. You know, new wave. My dad was was giving me Stranglers cassettes and stuff because he he just found it too modern for him. <laughs> um, um, so my my first sort of uh, engagement with with the creative arts, if you like, is was with music. And and at the same time, I was got really got into the whole mechanisms of cassettes and cassette players. So I bought a little. That's bit interesting. Of, you know, with cotton buds and a, a razor and a little splicing block, and I would fix my own cassettes when when they broke dust and do little splices. And I, I suppose at that point, noticed in a sort of innocent way that you know I'd put an edit in. I didn't know it was called an edit. <laughs> um, and then I just curiosity, you know, just kept me going with that. And I started trying to make, like, basically came up with the idea of the tape loop for myself, not having heard of one before. Um, tried to make tape loops, edits and stuff. So I was, you know, cutting audio on cassette tape. Yeah. Um, but at the same time thinking, I want to be in a band. I want to be a rock and roll person. And well, I still do. Um, we all do, Matt. We <laughs> time's, all do. time's ticking by. You know, it was either that or a footballer. And I was, you know, I was the weakling. So I wasn't going to be a footballer. Um, and... Yeah, so that was sort of online. Then I went to, at a certain point. I said, when it, when you get to that stage, if you're lucky enough to get university choices, I just was moaning about the fact I felt I was being sort of um, shoehorned or channeled into a certain way of a certain career. And I just said to my mum, actually, again, um, I want to just do something that gives me maximum freedom. And she said, Have you thought of going to an art college? And so I thought, no, I haven't. And she said, you know, that's where a lot of the bands from the UK come from. Indeed. And it was, you know, a bit of a 
road to Damascus moment, I, I thought, that's it, I'm going to go to college. And I ended up in a art course, art degree at Reading University. Right. And, um, and was still carrying on with music things, started getting in more into photography, performance, started taking documents, still documentation of performances I was doing um, in that kind of document art tradition. Yeah. Uh, one of the, the years above me said, why don't you try film? Because you can bring all this stuff together. You can have your picture, your sound, your music, your performance. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Um, so that was it. I, I started with Super 8, uh, stock frame animations, and kind of mixing up stock frame with bits of live action. And... Yeah, and, and putting mag strips on the Super 8 and doing sound mixes direct to the, the film. Um, so those edit skills coming in. And I think that really has defined how my, my films have been ever since because I, I didn't come at it from a story point of view. I didn't think I need to tell a story about a man on a bus that won't stop, that goes around around circles and will blow up. I kind of came at it from here's a nice here's an interesting image and here's here's some interesting sound and what happens if you put those two things together how does it what experience does it um so most of my films are non with very little dialogue in yeah um, i mean i mean just 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 contemplating what you were saying there you, you yeah. use the expression of kind of you know you want more freedom for yourself and so your mother suggested going to art school <clears throat> and Kind of, it's it seemed quite embryonic from the way you say you you know you you being at home playing with tapes, cutting them open, and then you just mm -hmm. gradually find more medium to play with and then bring them all together. Mm. Um, but what what do you think? Do do you think there's any anything particularly valuable you can point at in terms of your evolution as a filmmaker about going to college? Because I think there might be younger listeners thinking, yeah, great, um, I'd love to go to college, but it's. Uh, I think I think you're of a similar vintage to me. It was a bit cheaper when we went, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, no, it's cheaper. Um, well, move to Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go to college in Scotland. You there know. we go. That's the practical advice. Yeah. Now, now it's great. I mean, the intro. I didn't. I didn't really appreciate how, how valuable the intro will be to me because watching the documentary is the first thing I've seen of yours. So, I was um, I was watching these things that weren't necessarily what you would call. I think it's safe to say it's not traditional storytelling, is it? Even though you've you've based it on somebody's book of yeah. the journey they did, I think the way that you, I mean, without getting too up myself, I think <laughs> it's it's a you know it's a tad meta, isn't it? Because you 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 show us something that's to do with the journey. You show us kids reciting from the book. You show us people making things that are actually going to appear in the film in a bit. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's also there's all sorts of levels going on in this documentary that sit outside traditional film and sort of, I guess, also traditional documentary filmmaking. So the first question that I wrote down, because I'm a simple-minded person, is um, <laughs> where, where the bleed now do you start? <laughs> With a film that's so diverse in kind of its settings, the contributors you're going to put on the camera at, I mean, you've got animations in there, but also there is a story at the heart of it because that's what inspired you to make it. So... How did you go, like... How did I go about it? Constructing that, the, the film you've made now. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, um, I think partly that what you, what you see is the result of something that took 
12, 13 years to make. So in that time, your all cells in your body replace themselves. So I'm actually literally a different person that finished the film than the one that started it. Okay. Um, and it, uh, I just, I think what it is is, I, um, as a director, if that doesn't sound too pompous, um, I'm really interested in uh, sit, watching situations un, unfold as naturally as possible. Um, so if I'm into any sort of control, it's about, um, you know, defining the edges of that situation. Um, say that again, like sorry, defining the what, sorry? The, the edges of, of a situation and then okay. sending the cameras in. Um, uh, I'm not, you know, I don't, my, my direction's very light on, um, on any actors, and I'm actually very suspicious of acting. Um, I think it looks crap most of the time. It's very hard to do, it's very hard to film, and obviously some directors are very good at that, but that's not my not my strength. Um, sorry, I've gone off, the, gone off the track a bit here. Um, no, 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 this is, this is making sense, it's okay. Yeah. Oh, okay, um, so my, my interest is drawn, so yeah, as you say in the film, you see things being made, um, and specifically, you know, they're not just random things, there's a a woman who is actually knitting the the tank top that the character wears in the film, or, or is she's knitting a blue tank? You see her knitting a blue tank top, and that takes the the length of the film to complete. And he's presented with this at the end of the film as a kind prize for completing his journey. Um, uh, there's also you see a stone being uh, masonry um, happening, and that turns out to be a headstone for the guy who wrote the book um, as a memorial for him and uh, a gift to the village where he's from. Um, and you know, I, I the, is it, the way those things came about really was um, we spoke to the uh, James Duthie's family about getting the rights to the book. And said, you know, we they were happy for us to have the rights, but um, legally, you need to there needs to be some exchange of money, yeah, for, yeah. for it to be true. Um, and they weren't interested in money, um, so we said, well, what could we do? And they said, well, maybe you can make a headstone for James Duffy, which is so we looked into that, and they said, yeah, that will take about it's about five days' work, but we spread it over the course of a month or something. And I thought, well, if someone's going to spend five days working on this, why don't we film it? Is that that could be quite interesting. And so they, you know, they changed their schedule and, and shot it and, and made it over the course of five consecutive days for, for us. Nice. Um, and similarly with uh, the tank top netting, I mean, that was a, a some woman that I met um, on another Maverick tour of Scotland, actually, um, called Pilgrimage a few years ago. Okay. And... Um, we just, she just said, well, how can I help? I, I really like the idea of your film, how can I help? I'm a knitter, do you need anything knitting? And I said, well, yeah, actually, maybe you can knit his, his costume, as it were. And so we looked at 50s knitting patterns and found this one called Trimly Orthodox. Um, and she set about it, and I thought, well, if she's going to go to a lot of trouble, why don't we film her? In, in the same way as I did with the stone. And so they became these kind of quite strong, linear, and I would say narrative threads mm. um, you know when people talk about story they imagine something else but actually there's a story in the making of a headstone or a story in the making of a jumper and it has accidents in it, things go wrong it goes fast, it goes slow, it's got all the quality of, of narrative and you just need to 
trust that stuff's going to happen while you're filming and that we'll give it give character. Yeah, but um, I, I, I would say in terms of how we're used to receiving story, though, when you set us up for a cyclist going away, and certainly you send him away and we see yeah. him in different locations, trying to tie the jumper and the headstone in with that, at first, for certainly for half the film, if not more, that feels kind of abstract, even though you know they're obviously related. And like you say, individually, the, the, mm -hmm. the, 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 the stone being made is a linear thing because it begins and it ends. And equally, the, the, a ball of wool becomes a, a pullover. Yeah, and, and I mean, in simple, I mean, quite a, the number of my films basically are about mortality. Um, and I like, you know, one of the things I like about film is it's time-based, so you, you you live through it, it's got duration. And I like, I'm interested in what, in shape of time. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm standardly considered experimental and dismissive of narrative, but I just, I mean, I would assert that if you spend five minutes watching anything, you go through a kind of narrative, even if it's... Um, because you know things move on and change constantly, and uh, that that is that is story. I think some reason the human brain or yeah brain wants to make sense of things so that we don't kind of collapse in a heap, um, screaming everything is chaotic <laughs> and falling apart. But you know, well, well I mean, I, I realised in my opening question though that obviously if something takes twelve years, you didn't set out to make the film you you've actually ended up with. You set no. out on a journey to look at this book and where it led you, I guess. That's kind of, and certainly if you say you're kind of renowned now as someone that does something experimental, then people would see you doing that as part of your process, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I mean, what I try to do in a sort of, because I, you know, I don't, I try not to think too much about audience or second guess audiences, but what in terms of, putting the film out there so people can understand it. The, yes, it's, it appears to be, this is the story of a deaf man on a bicycle, and that, that's a real hook for people. Yeah. Um, and Sam is, is, a, is a good hook. He's, he's really... Um, the, ladies, the ladies find him attractive. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, there's nothing on the poster or the flyers or anything that says, you know, this is actually a film about a gravestone being made, about death, about knitting, about a cat, the gin, you know, those things are sort of woven into the into this tenuous journey story, <laughs> um, and that has infuriated some critics. You know, it's just like, what are you doing? You don't know how to make a film. You don't know how to tell a story. You're just like randomly getting sidetracked. But you know, I can't help but be interested in the fringes of of stuff. Um, it's and, like, it's like, you know, um, you know I, I, I would hope that over time that people realise that, yeah, there's a lot of thought and structure and intention here, and actually we are in safe hands, and it does resolve. It does feel like a narrative. It certainly does. I mean, it certainly does resolve itself. I mean, I'm, I, I think it's challenging as a watch, which is not, that's not a crime, is it, to make something challenging? Right. Uh, all too much is just, you know, spoonfuls of sugar shoved down your mouth. So mm. it's always refreshing to uh, have to use... A bit of uh, a bit of brain power to watch something, um, and and you reward it anyway because you you, you do feel like this that it resolves itself into something. The fact that we've kind of had a reenactment of edited highlights of what it started the journey to make the film, 
I didn't I didn't find that as important in the end. It was like it was the focus on the children and the village and the event and everything that happens. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to, in the end, it was uh, it was the book that, I mean, it's about adaptation. I was trying to get the essence of the book on the screen. And, you know, someone like my granddad, may he rest in peace, would say, but where did he actually go? How long did it take? How many miles was it? Where's a map? I don't know where we are. You know, kind of the, the practical, factual thing. Um, it's really boring to me. Um, and, in fact, his book is very factual and practical, and it's kind of an, an itinerary. Um, there's sort of a boring read, and enough, but there's loads of space there to get in and start using a poetic license. <laughs> so is, is, the, uh, is the kind of standout quotes that you use, are they from the book then? Because they are quite kind of... He, he had a bit of a, a taste for sort of pat phrases and quotes like um, Amsterdam is the Paris of the North, um, you know, so, you know uh, Aberdeen, the Silver City, you know, he, he was sort of putting on a, a kind of um, almost like a tourist guy persona when he was writing. Mm. Um, and there's a couple of, yeah, he does, he does refer to a couple of proverbs. One is the Flemish nationalist proverb, which is uh, the language is the whole people. Mm. Um, and so I ran with that and I looked up proverbs specific to each country that he passed through. So yeah. the proverbs that appear are actually from those countries. Uh-huh. Uh, so the God gives nuts, but he does not crack them is a German proverb, for example. Um, so that's, yeah, so that's true true to him. I think he would have appreciated that. And there are various other things which are true, true to him. Um, so I was trying to get some essence and truth about him and about the actual physical book on the screen. So you see the text scanned in and, you know, hopefully it feels quite, quite a physical watch. Um, and that's the stuff that interests me more than what's the literal story of where he went and, you know, how long it took. And and cyclists are quite, uh, can be disappointed because, you know, I think they want to see more technical stuff about gears and endurance. And, you know, actually in this film, he spends a lot of time lying around in a tent reading books and dreaming and... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which is also true of a long journey. I mean, it's not all about strong legs on the road. You know, it's kind of, um, there's a lot of, there's quite a lot of boredom, really, in a very long journey. Time to think and your mind goes everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to say, I mean, I'm a fairly non-technical cyclist, so the idea of how the gears work wasn't relevant, but Mm -hmm. certainly the idea of a screw falling off and being stuck somewhere and needing to get your bike fixed, that's all relevant. Mm -hmm. And and, And obviously... Um, when you know where you're heading, the the sense of how long you've got to go, because he mentions like 300 miles at one point, and when you've got that far to travel on a bike, it, it doesn't even seem real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and and, it, and at that point, it didn't either, because obviously we haven't really been with him yard for yard. So when he says that, we kind of go, yeah, I'd pretty much want to change my mind if I was faced with 300 miles in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I mean. You've already like you, because of what the way you've sort of outlined how you go about the way you present your work, um, it kind of feels like you've already answered this, but I'll ask it anyway. Um, okay. Bouncing between the kind of straight narrative shots, like you know, obviously the cyclist, the kids, the people making stuff, but then there's also those kind of genuinely more abstracty stuff where you've got like multiple images on the screen, 
Some of them are photographed, yeah. some of them are archived, some of them are new. Some of them even mirror images together, don't you? I think it's way of, I'm, I'm assuming you've recreated something that's from an archive footage. Is that right? Um, it's well, what it is. It's, uh, early on in the project, I went, I got a bit of money from Creative Scotland mm. to research and develop the book as a potential for a film, because I wasn't sure at the start whether it would be a film or possibly some sort of theatre piece or... Is it music or, you know, I wasn't sure. Um, and as part of that, I went, uh, drove around Sweden and Norway um, with uh, my girlfriend Lucy. And I took a Super 8 camera and was just filming uh, as as we went. And I was trying to focus on things that he'd... So, we, we, you know, we retraced his, his route. And then I was trying to film things that I thought he would have been interested in. So churches... Uh, or people in their funny costumes, um, landscape, lonely trees, you know, just trying to sort of get a sense of what he might have filmed if he'd had a camera. No, no, I mean, I like, they, they, they certainly feel like sort yeah. of collage kind of dreamy sequences of what he's still enjoying. Yeah, so, so there's... They definitely feel like that. I suppose the thing is, on a, on a technical level, it's quite interesting, because those, so those things that look like vintage are actually things I've shot in the 21st century, oh, okay. 20th century. Um, mostly, um, and you know that's that grew out of my short filmmaking. I've, I've got, a, you know, I, I tend to create these things, worlds that seem a little bit out of time. Um, and so, like, most of those sliding panels of, of images are super eight that I filmed on the route of his journey. So we actually did retrace his, his journey entirely and shoot stuff. Um, and then mixed into that, uh, what was amazing was on the last day of the shoot in up in Campbell, the school cleaner came over and said, oh, we've got some, some stuff in our attic. It looks like a 16mm projector and some camera and some film reels. We think it might be the dummies. And um, sure enough... He did have a camera, wow. <laughs> and he did film. And so suddenly, right at the end of this 12-year kind of trapes, we suddenly had film that he himself had shot. <laughs> That's remarkable, Matt. It is remarkable. And, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I thank the Lord I didn't get it at the start, because it would have been such a different film. <laughs> um, so we, you know, digitised it, and most of it's out of focus, which is hilarious. And... Um, uh, yeah, so some of that's mixed into the wall as well. So the stuff I've shot on his journey, the stuff he shot on his journey 60 years before. Mm. Um, and then uh, what else is in there? Um, there's a bit of archive from the, the Netherlands Film Institute of the bombing of Rotterdam. Right. And uh, I don't know if this is interesting for your listeners, but um, you know, in a film over 12 years, technology shifts around you. So there was no, there was no thing that, HD in the year 2000, um, and uh, Super 8 is basically at its best, highest scanner level, is, is standard definition, and um, you, you, when we got to the edit, we thought, well, we, we wouldn't feel confident in stretching the Super 8 out to fill the full HD frame, because it's something like 12 times the size of a Super, you know, like a one-to-one yeah. Super 8 scan. Yeah. So that's how we started making these box setups because we thought, well, let's see if we could fit one above the other. And sure enough, you can get one on top of the other fits exactly. Um, but laterally, they don't quite fit. They overlap the edge of the frame. <laughs> so that's why we started to move them because, well, if they never stop moving, you'll never realise that they don't 
sit yeah, comfortably within the frame. That's quite um, a reason, then, isn't it? In a way. Yeah. yeah. So, so the that the innovative choice actually has come about from changes in technology. Wow. And then that's often how I make decisions as well. Rather than story-led decisions, it's kind of things about how one thing edits with another or. You know, it's quite a physical, practical approach. And that yes, probably comes yes. from working with Super 8 and cassettes. Yeah, well, no, it's, it's a very, very... It, it's, it, it shows how willing you are to be as organic as the process is from the get-go. You're, mm-hmm. you're not stuck ever, are you? Is it... No. No, and, and in some ways, you know, people say, why is this taking so long? And I say, well, it's just not, it's not done yet, you know, and it'll be <laughs> clear when it's done, and the film will tell me when it's done, and, and it did, you know. I may be reading too much into this a little bit, but it did, I did notice it only because I've been doing research into faith for some projects I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a moment where the guy with the Bible looks down and says, could you cut that off? Oh, yeah, yeah, is well talk- spotted. Is he talking to you? And, um, we had to... Um, he then goes on to say something which I can't... He, would, he asked us not to, to make public. Ah. So that's why we we cut it off. I mean, Ian kept filming, yeah. um, so you do actually hear what he he says, and it's very actually very funny. Yeah. And it's a shame we couldn't use it, but as a sort of matter of respect, we uh, cut it out, which is you know still quite tantalising in its own way. Well, it tantalised me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can tell you in a, a private call exactly what happened. Cool. <laughs> I'd like to hear. Um, what was the? T- I mean, you, you you talked about having. The woman with the knitwear wanted to get involved, but what did that? What was the significance of the knitwear in the film? Because obviously, it plays a plays quite a large part. Right? Yeah, well, knitting is several things actually. Um, knitting is a huge uh, part of fishing culture. Um, obviously, fishermen knit their nets and fix their nets, mm. um, and the, that whole northeast Scotland and particularly somewhere like Shetland. Um, you know, the, the, the guys would go off fishing and the women would be knitting and uh, their trips would, were actually talked about in terms of, you know, it'll, it'll be a seven-sock trip or whatever because, you know, you can knit seven socks in the time it takes for him to come back from his fishing. Um, <laughs> it, so it's completely infused in culture. I mean, much less now, of course, but... Um, yeah. Um... Uh, and also, it, uh, I hope that it represents a kind of soft, softness, um, dom- domesticity, I suppose, a kind of, in a broader sense, a sort of femininity uh, side of, of Scottish culture. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, wanted to, to really cut that into the granite, the sort of male and transigent mm. um, doer, thing, cold doer thing, you know, yeah. and have sort of wool colliding with granite um, and marble uh, just as a sort of visceral, physical edit um, to represent those those two sides of Aberdeenshire. Okay. Um, um, I mean, it, it, again, it seems an odd question to ask knowing it took 12 years, but in terms of the process of you making the film, sort of what came first, your film of the event, in the in the church hall with all the kids dressed up and everything? Or was that something you came along and it was happening and you thought, I'll film this? Um, it, yeah, well, we went to... 
When we started looking at the the sort of let's film the with the actor cycling yeah. part of the, the, the production, um, we knew we'd be filming in Cairn Bulg. Local teacher Eunice Stephen, who you see in the film, and I just said, totally I'm really interested in. I don't want to. I want to work with and around what's happening with the school, and that I want to make that part of the film. I don't want to. Everyone to sort of be dressed up or, or you know. I don't, I'm not here to kind of make film in the conventional sense. I want to work with you, and um, she responded really well to that. Um, and said, oh, well, you know, we, we do a coffee morning. Maybe you could film at the coffee morning. We'll have most of the village there in one point. Um, so I kind of collaborated with her, really. She, so she's actually sort of partly involved in the production design in as much as she said, well, usually if you get dressed up in these um, traditional fishermen's gansies, uh, maybe we can get some more from the local museum, from the drama school in Fraserburn. And then it, so it grew from there, and her ideas were... Folded into the. Um, so what you're seeing in that hall is, it's actually a coffee morning. They would ordinarily do two or three times a year to raise money for the school. Yeah. Um, plus, uh, we've sort of dressed that slightly by asking people to get get into fifties-ish costumes. Okay. <laughs> um, obviously, then we placed the band in there. They're not from the village. They're from. You know the experimental music scene in Glasgow, but we've put them in there as, as if they're the local band. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else is going on? There's Nick, who does the drawings in the film. He's running a stall uh, in, 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 you know, pen and ink drawings. Um, yeah. Lots of local people got involved making food, and they looked at fifties food and traditional cakes and all of that stuff. Um, so yeah, it was a big community event that would could have run without any cameras. Around, but you know we had we had cameras there. Um, yeah, yeah. But, 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 but I guess as well, given what it's about, and given where, where you were kind of, it, it felt like a celebration of of the journey as much as it felt like obviously their fundraiser event. Mm. Yeah, well, they they, I mean, many people in the village were aware of the dummy, but he hadn't. He's never been picked out in such a way. I mean, even though you know he wrote a book, he self-published, he cycled around selling it door to door. Um, you know, he wasn't shy of promotion. Mm. Um, and it's also the kind of culture where you don't put your head up above the parapet and claim that you're a big man or anything. You know, you just, people don't do that. Yeah. So it takes an outsider to go in and say, hang on a second, this guy's really interesting. Why don't we um, acknowledge that? Um, but in the end, I think the, the village are just take it as a kind of, yeah, he's one of our guys, um, but he's nothing special. Um, uh, but, you know, of course they're proud as well. And money, you know. <laughs> well, look, um, you're, you're about to go off on tour, which start, um, this will go out the same day recording this. Right. The first day of your tour is Sunday. Sunday yeah. So, oh, Sunday, sorry. Sunday, this, what's that, the 6th? That's right, yeah. So Sunday the 6th of July, you begin a tour. How many dates are you doing? We have got, let me just, I've got the listing here. Um, do you want me to read out where we're going? Yeah, run, run through the listing, and what we'll do is we'll put, we'll put it in the text as well with the podcast. Okay, we've got Glasgow Film Theatre on the 6th of July. Yeah. Then we're going to a place called the Glenesk Retreat, uh, which is uh, kind of west of, northwest of Dundee. Mm-hmm. 
Um, then we're going to uh, Wick to the Leith Arts Centre on the 9th of July. That's really far up. That's the top of uh, Caithness. Mm-hmm. Then we're coming back down to Huntley in Aberdeenshire on the 10th of July, Thursday. Then also in Aberdeenshire, Friday the 11th of July, Bankery. Saturday the 12th is an afternoon screening. All the other screenings have been at 7.30 so far. Um, Aden Country Park in Mindlaw. Then coming a bit further south, Sunday the 13th of July, Eden Court in Inverness. And then we're going back up to the top um, for the 14th of July, the Salmon Bothy in Portsoy. Yeah. And then back down again, 15th of July to Lona Hall in Strathdon. Then uh, back to Edinburgh on the 17th of July, Thursday, to the Film House. And then on Friday the 18th, we have a secret screening plus end of tour knees up. Yeah. And the clue to the secret screening is the worn brick. Okay. Um, and we'll be announcing news of where that is closer to the date. Okay. Um, is, there, is there a Twitter or Facebook that people can be following? Yeah, there's, there's various things. Um, Facebook.com slash Dummy Jim. That's yeah. the kind of main social media thing, I suppose. There's a sort of bit of a fan, fan page going on there, and if you write to Dummy Jim, he will write back to you in his uh, language. And um, there's, if people use Instagram, we set up an account, instagram.com forward slash dummy gym. So that'll be pictures from the tour. Brilliant. Um, what else there is? Yes, twitter.com forward slash dummy gym, um, which I, I tend to use a bit a bit less. But if you're into that, um, I, I do keep an eye on it. And I've got someone helping me from Berwick Film and Media Arts Festival, keeping an eye on that side of stuff as well. Um and then, of course, there's the main website, dummygym.com, which has links to, to these things and Brilliant. is in itself an amazing piece I think not, you know, well, no, I'm saying is the website's an amazing piece of work. I'm not really responsible for that. That was the work of Alan Brown. <laughs> um, uh, and I would highly recommend spending time. It's, gonna, it's the kind of, uh, he's into this idea of slow web, a bit like slow food movement. Um, so... It'll wait for you. Nothing's going to pop up. No, no, no one's going to try and sell you anything. You take your time. You have to find things. Um, just gentle, very beautifully illustrated, and uh, well, well worth it. Well worth the trip. Cool. Well, look, we'll we'll make sure we put all those all those ways of keeping in touch with the project into the uh, dialogue box that goes with the podcast. Um, now, one final question I like to ask everybody is um, to. Uh, Think of a British film mm-hmm. that uh, you feel is uh, maybe underrated and deserves more kudos. Well, I, I the, when you say that, immediately springs to mind is Lindsay Anderson's "Oh Lucky Man," okay, um, which is quite a faulted film, uh, but I, I like it for that. He tried a lot of different things there, and actually, Dummy Jim. If you watched it as a double bill, it would probably be quite an intense experience. <laughs> but you'd see um, where I've been inspired by him. Okay. Um, because Malcolm McDowell plays this sort of character who's 
travels in a in a slightly psychedelic way through through British society um, levels of it, and it's just completely bananas. And the the um, the very lateral connections between scenes, uh, um, quite close in spirit to something like Monty Python or The Prisoner or these kind of sixties um, surreal. Um, but one thing I love about that film is at the end, basically, they, this is where I got the idea for the coffee, uh, was inspired to do the coffee morning, is they have the, the rug party for the, the shoot is, is filmed as part of the film. Okay. So you see all the characters that were in the film letting their hair down and snogging each other and doing whatever they're doing. Um, but Malcolm McDowell is still in character um, and realises that at that point he's become a celebrity um, within the context of the film. It's really hard to describe. It's one of those things that you can only really experience, but it's very disconcerting, very clever. Um, I'm um, sure it's one I've not seen yet. I've seen If, but I've not, I've not seen Old Lucky Man yet. Yeah, I mean, If's the more kind of uh, hit single. You know, it's, uh, that's really well constructed, isn't it? And there's a strong sort of narrative. I mean, Old Lucky Man's really rambling. I think it's like two and a half hours or something. Okay. Um, so it's it's quite quite odd. It feels a little bit like uh, Man Who Fell to Earth or that sort of world. Okay. Um, I would imagine there were some assistance of a few narcotics somewhere along the line. But um, I imagine there would be. Although I must admit, even with <laughs> if for all of it, what it has, it's quite traditional narrative. It is still a bit way out west. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, I mean, Lindsay Anderson comes from that that free cinema school, and it was, but he's applying that sort of technique to um, narrow, um, what do you call it, fiction. <laughs> um, so you know, it's a slightly uncomfortable mix, but and I think that's partly what you see in Dummy Jam as well as on kind of, I mean, really, I'm um, approaching the world from a, a observational documentary point of view, but then sort of pushing it towards fiction. Yeah. Um, now, look, for people that don't, obviously don't live in the various places in Scotland, you're going to be showing the film. Mm. I mean, we can't really say how yet, but I think it's come, your film's due to be available later this year, isn't it? Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.